boards and CEOs increasingly expect their chief marketing officers to function as strategic partners, leveraging every available tool to uphold brand integrity, foster sustainability, harness the power of data analytics, and proactively anticipate market shifts and disruptions. Hello, I'm Jamie Washington, and my expertise lies in marketing and branding strategies that deliver significant profits. With a career spanning over two decades as a global CMO, I've had the privilege of collaborating with Fortune 500 giants like United Airlines, Dunkin' Donuts, Apple, RCA Records, Gillette, and many others. What you might not be aware of is that the brands you adore are actively seeking you out and strategically tailoring their marketing efforts to resonate with you. This visionary orchestration is driven by none other than the chief marketing officer. On this show, the CMO Connect with Jamie Washington, I delve deep into the realms of data, purpose, and the pivotal role played by the CMO. Let's go in. Melissa Henrick is Chief Marketing Officer at Chargeback Gurus, a global leader in chargeback prevention and revenue recovery services for e-commerce payment. Melissa is an omni-channel demand generation marketing executive with extensive B2B, SaaS, enterprise, and mid-market strategic marketing expertise across a broad range of marketing capabilities. I had the pleasure of speaking with Melissa, who's also a former exec of marketing at Lockstep that was actually acquired by the Sage Group in 2022. When we were able to talk on the CMO Connect, I mean, Melissa breaks down organizational charts. She breaks down what it means to be a go-to market in motion marketer. You guys are, are about to experience something amazing. Let's dive in. Welcome to the CMO Connect with Jamie Washington. We are back, guys, with another amazing podcast. And on today's show, we have the amazing Melissa Hendrick. from the, She is the CMO of Chargeback Gurus. Melissa, welcome to the show. Hey, Jamie. Thanks. I appreciate it being here and for having a chance to talk with you. I'm so excited to talk with you. We have a lot to talk about and I am just excited, but I have to ask you first, Melissa, with you being such an icon yourself as one of the top CMOs in the U.S., you have to tell me when you were growing up, (laughs) what was an iconic brand for you? (laughs) Well, I'm going to show my age now. That's not a fair question. (laughs) Um, my favorite was a dual brand because I was preppy when I was growing up. Believe it or not, the SAS didn't exist back then. But um, <laughs> actually, it was Calvin Klein. You probably don't remember this, but there was a Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren button down with penny loafers craze. It was the preppy phase, right, of the 80s. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't the Cindy Lauper with the colored hair and the, and the fishnet stockings and the poofy. <laughs> I was more of the preppy line. And so... I, I just remember, you know, begging my dad for Calvin Klein jeans one Christmas, right? And it was, you know, back then it was like so expensive. They were like $40 a pair, right? So it was a big, right. it was a big 
big deal to wear the Calvin Klein jeans back when I was growing up in the 80s. So that that's kind of my my gig. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. You know, you just never know how people are going to ask the question, how they're going to answer the question. Um, but how do you see that with now that you are in marketing and branding, Melissa, with the commercials and the drive and the pull that Calvin Klein and Ralph Lauren had on you, do you see that now in marketing and branding? And do you use some of those tools right now in your everyday career? Yeah, you know, I, my personal brand, when, when people talk, you know, you have that 10 seconds of who you are in the elevator or you're talking to a CEO. So my <laughs> brand is about building a brand that ignites demand, right? And and today it, it goes together. I, I it, The go-to-market motion about talking about how great your company is and only that, it's kind of long gone. Mm -hmm. um, to me, it's about first building the brand by putting very you know, relevant thought leadership content and voice of customer content out in the marketplace to build that brand, right? And and I think I think companies that are doing that, whether it's B2B or B2C, that are, are leveraging that, that commentary or that industry validation that they're a top brand by using thought leaders or people that are followed well and respected well in the industry are, are the ones that are gonna be smart and really building their brand long-term. I love that. Now, with working at Chargeback Gurus, um, they are an end-to-end, -end, you know, consumer transaction dispute organization, and you just talked about focusing on the consumer. Can you just give us a little bit more information? Why don't we start there about, you know, your, you know, Chargeback? Tell us yeah. a little bit about that and kind of the day-to-day -day, uh, life of your of what you do over there at Chargeback. Okay. I appreciate that. So Chargeback Gurus is an industry leader that leverages innovative technologies, the brilliance of people mm. to develop, kind of deliver world-class chargeback prevention and recovery services. Okay. And we do that for merchants. So Jamie, I'm a big use case because, you know, we all know what chargebacks are, but we really don't know as consumers that's officially what they're called by companies like ours that work with the issuing banks. Um, and our merchants. So let me give you a use case. It's like, you know, you you order your lunch from, from Grubhub, right? And mm -hmm. Mr. Grubhub says that he's delivered it to your house and you go outside and, and your Grubhub lunch isn't there. You're like, hey, what? Where's my lunch? <laughs> and in the meantime, Mr. Grubhub has delivered it to another house and your neighbor, unfortunately, is not as honest as you are. So you'll call Mr. Grubhub and Mr. Grubhub will say, no, we, we, here's the proof of evidence. We delivered it to your house, right? And, and, and Jamie might be a friendly fraudster or not a friendly fraudster, an intentional fraudster, as we call it. She actually ate the lunch and is saying that she didn't get the lunch. Either way, Chargeback says, hey, we have proof we delivered it. So Jamie, you call your credit card company and you say, hey, Mr. MasterCard, I didn't get my lunch from Grubhub. I, right. need, to, I need to dispute this charge, right? And they will conditionally, unconditionally put a credit on your credit card and then we'll go back to the merchant and ding the merchant for that charge. Okay. So what chargeback does is we help those merchants either stop those chargebacks with an alert saying, hey, Jamie is a habitual fraudster in her okay. chargebacks. And so that merchant can assume to accept your card or not. Um, or um, if, if it does go through and then you do the chargeback, we help that merchant fight that chargeback, okay. right? To get their money back. So that's kind of, so we, we are B2B in the model, but our customers are B2C, which is a very complex because you've got 
you've got to understand their pain points from a B2C perspective, and then we've got to understand their pain point in relation to the problems that we solve for them. Wow. So even with uh, B2C, it's almost like with, so you have almost like a cross collaboration because yeah. you're a B2B, but your your clients are B2C. Well, they, they, they support B2C. That is B2C, yeah. And it can range across industries. I mean, I use Grubhub, but, you know, we, we work with some of the largest telecom firms. We work with some of the largest car rental firms. We work with subscription services, right? The Netflix of the world. So it's not only goods, but it's also subscription services, right? Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many chargebacks people do saying, you know, they get, they get poor cell phone service. So they put a chargeback in for six months of their cell phone service by, you know, leading mobile service A, B, or C, right? So oh, people get really, really creative. So, um, and then you asked a second half, Jamie, about uh, our kind of our go-to market motion. Right. Did I get that right? Yes. Um, so, you know, again, I kind of started off is, is that my kind of, my, me and my team, we have, we have a global team. I have a team in, mar in marketing in the U.S. and India. And those, okay. the regionalization is very different. Uh, clearly, when, when you're marketing a, a global company. But the, the core foundation, as I started about to me, is that omni-channel strategy. And okay. it's not one and done. And that's kind of my my thing is, is I push thought leadership content uh, and or voice of customer or third-party industry recognition out through all these omni-channels. And it might be, you know, the ABM motion. It might be a digital footprint from communications. It might be you know, buyer's journey, email nurture sequences. Okay. It might be intent marketing. Um, but again, the, the key that our, our marketing differentiator is that we're not saying, hey, buy from, you know, chargeback gurus. It's about helping our clients understand and feel confident that we recognize their pain points. Okay. And we have a solution that helps them. Uh, and the thing that also differentiates is we align with our client goals. And we communicate that clearly. So to me, it's not just a simple one and done. I think you really have to look at your ideal client profile, you know, your persona based on that, I, uh, you know, ICP as we call it, because yes. we know we need to talk to telecom companies differently than we need to talk to quick service restaurants because they have different pain points, right? They might have chargeback issues, but the issues around those pain points are going to be different by industry. Mm -hmm. So you know, first talking in the buyer's journey, in their persona, based on their pain points. And then, you know, moving through, they're trying to look at industry validation that we know what we're doing. We're an industry leader. And so, you know, pushing joint thought leadership out with people that are respected in our industry, doing bylines, doing blogs, yes. you know, getting award recognition, right, is very important, right? Because it's not us saying how great we are. We're partnering with great thought leaders and, and getting awards in the industry. So, you know, and then if you, you leverage that on top of a very sophisticated marketing tech stack, yes. um, anything is scalable from there because then it's, it's tweaking. But I, I think in the, in the total wrapping up of what it is that we do um, is you can do all of that. And, but if you're not measuring the success by channel that you're doing in your omni-channel relationship, you're not going to really know what's working. So you know, I'm very much of a pragmatic marketer. You know, if, if my salespeople come and say, hey, we got to do this trade show. Okay, great. How many MQLs are we expecting? 
right? And then we, mo we monitor that as they move through the sales funnel so we can see if they were converting, you know, what the average you know, return on investment was for attending that show. And it's very important that you do that for each and every channel, right? And every child within that channel. So if you're doing Google, you know, campaigns you, and you're doing retargeting, you're doing a branding, you know, whatever it is, you need to be measuring each one of those campaigns individually for the conversion rate, the velocity, and then of course the ROI. And then turn them on and turn them off as you see fit and reinvest those money in channels that are working for you. So that's kind of the, our strategy in marketing at CBG. Wow. Our listening audience, <laughs> I hope you know that uh, <laughs> Melissa literally just talked about audience and audience understanding. I was just taking like copious notes over here, just listening at you. I felt like this was, you know, another master's class in, in marketing. I mean, no. No. I, I think you could talk, uh, Jamie, I think you could talk circles around me. Uh -uh, I, know, I know, I know, I look at your bio. Don't be <laughs> Together, what if we went and worked together at a, a startup? They wouldn't know what would happen. No, they, they couldn't handle us. And I don't think they, they just couldn't. Because I mean, you just, you just put my hairs on my arm are sticking up because um, you talked about personalization. You talked about integrated data. You talked about cross-channel uh, promotion, multi-platform engagement, um, segmentation. Uh, I think I already named channel selection, but audience mm -hmm. understanding, understanding the behaviors and the preferences and the communications of the audience and you know i know you and i had a personal conversation and you know we were talking about something else but but i i you know just gonna bring this here that i do feel that in today's world the consumer it's it's no longer that they just care about just the brand they want to know what's behind the brand. They want to talk to somebody. Are you socially responsible? Do you care about me as a customer? Right? Right. Do you offer the things that I want? Will you pivot? You know, and are you building out new products that suit my needs? And yep, you're exactly right. You're, I couldn't agree with you more, Jamie. Oh my goodness, Melissa, I'm loving it. Now, how do you keep your team motivated? Mm -hmm focused on <laughs> on task because you you did mention you've got a team here in the US but you also have a huge team in, in, in India can you can you kind of help us with like your marketing organizational structure and tell us what right I I, you know I've been very fortunate in my career to work with some incredibly talented emerging leaders okay um, and, and I've been very fortunate <laughs> Um, that I've had many of them follow me around as, as I move through my career and I've, I've, I've watched them mature. So, um, so my, my marketing team is a combination of folks that I inherited when I became CMO of CBG. There are ones that came, I brought with me, uh, and then there were some net new hires, right? So it's a very interesting blend of current, new and former that, that we had to come together. And I don't know, several of my, my directors that have worked for me, you know, in the past and, and for me now on, on the team have said, you have that Melissa factor. And, mm -hmm. and they don't, I don't know what it is and they don't know what it is, but it's this innate gut feel that I don't know if it comes with time 
or experience or what it is that when you're talking to somebody and you're interviewing somebody, you have that innate feel that they're going to mesh immediately with the team. Okay. And then there are ones that you go, yeah, you get that little thing in the back of your head where you go, God, but they're so freaking talented, but yeah. will they mesh with my, my team of different personalities? And Ooh. I said, so my first thing is listen to that voice. Okay. The second thing is bring good people with you um, and, and make sure that they mature. So that's kind of my first thing. The second thing is I follow a servant style leadership. Oh. Um, and so when I say to folks, it's tr I truly take it as a personal mission of mine to get the next generation of marketers ready to replace me. And a lot of, a lot of leaders, you know, let, let me just give you a recent example. We're going to be, uh, presenting at MAG Annual. It's a very large conference in money 2020 in our industry. Okay. And, and we're, we're doing a presentation there where we're having our customers along with our CEO talk about their chargeback challenges. And so, you know, my team was building the deck for that. Well, most leaders would take that deck, they, they look at it in isolation, make their little edits and send it back to the team. Right. right? Without getting on the phone or teams with that team member and walking them through that knowledge share of why they should change the slide to be this way or, you know, include that because it's this way and have that collaborative give and take. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and so, you know, there, there, to me, there isn't a secret sauce other than how your team is truly a team as, as opposed to individual contributors, right? And that's not, that's not how my team is structured. Um, you know, that said, I think when I build out teams, there are four key pillars that I've got to have. Okay. And, and one of them is, uh, around, you know, there's the director of marketing, which is all managing all inbound, uh, marketing activities. There's your director of demand gen, which handles all your outbound motion. So your ABM, your tech stacks, all of that. Your fourth pillar or third pillar is a really great web and graphic design person, preferably that can also do video. And then the fourth pillar that I use is a fantastic communications director, right? That pushes out that content. So I, I think if you find, and that's what I've done, if you find those great core pillars to be on your team, the rest will flow. And they, they've got to cross cross pollinate with each other on a regular basis and not to be individually siloed. And that's kind of how my structure is. And that allows you to flex uh, as one person might become overwhelmed with another project, you know, another person can come in alongside them and help provide bandwidth. And so I, I don't have a siloed functional kind of traditional marketing group. It's more of a matrix. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Did I answer your question? You, you did, but I want you to also um, finish telling us the story about what happened with the slide deck. Um, <laughs> did well, you know, did your CEO come back and actually, you know, talk with you guys about the slide deck? Because so, you yeah, so that's that's interesting. So when you know we were putting the first draft together, we <laughs> did a run through with our our two clients that are presenting on the panel along with our CEO, and we walked through the PowerPoint deck with them. Okay. Um, while the, the the team that was that was you know putting together the tech was on the phone with us or on the team's meeting. Because again, it goes to A, that's giving your team members FaceTime, not only with your clients, but with your C-suite team, right? And I think that's that's very important um, for what I would call modern day marketing leaders is, is put your ego aside. It's about how do you get your staff FaceTime 
with the C-suite. So they build that confidence and it's not always about you. I always get very uncomfortable when someone goes, oh, you did a great job on XYZ. No, 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 there is no, no. I have a team that does a great job, right? And I think yes. people that that take that opportunity to to help your individual marketing team build their brand, not only with your clients, but with the C-suite or internal stakeholders is very important. I don't think you need to have the FaceTime all the time as a CMO. I love it. I love it. And that, that that's going to pivot us to another question. You know, years ago, <laughs> Melissa, there, there was, you know, the talk that CMOs didn't have, you know, a seat at the table. You know, you mentioned, you know, your yeah. CEO and, you know, very innovative and allowing not only, of course, you would be there, but allowing your team to be, you know, in in the, the, the meeting and on the phone. And those things are just, you know, recently evolving in our industry. Um, you know, normally, really like three, five years ago, we would, they would come out of the meeting and sometimes tell, tell the marketing team, okay, this is what we want you guys to do. We want to do this. Yes. And you're like, okay, when was that decided? And it's like the muddling in the weeds because it's like, well, if I wouldn't go to the accounting department and say, hey, I've heard about this great new accounting software. I think you should go use it. So true. That's so true. <laughs> You know, so, you know, wh wh why do you think that is? And, you know, why do you think that the marketing team, you know, is not invited to the important meetings? Well, they, they should be. They should be with internal stakeholders in the C-suite when strategy is being. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. I, I think for a long time, marketing has just been viewed as a service center. Ah. Right, if that makes sense. So, you know, we're, we're order takers and we go and we fill the order and we pass it back to the internal client. And I think that's that's part of, of I, I think that's the, the greatest barrier at companies that, that think that we're, we're just order takers and task masters, um, but really understanding the whole reason behind something, a campaign or a product launch is is very critical as opposed to coming out and saying, hey, we're launching this new mobile app. Um, can you go do the go-to-market planning? Well, it's kind of like walking into the middle of a movie, right? right? You don't have marketing at the table when A, the decision was made that the marketing app would be good, who the persona would be that the marketing app would be using, you know, talking about you know, the competitor, you know, landscape in relation to that, the differentiator, does this differentiate from the marketplace? All of that goes into your go-to-market motion. To walk out and go, okay, here's the here's the app, go market it. It's kind of like walking in the middle of a movie and trying to figure <laughs> out the beginning of it and to define where the end is is how I would equate that. And and I and I think that just happened, like I said, because people saw marketing as a a central service department uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, and and order takers to go and implement. Oh, I love that. And see, would you agree? Would you agree with that? I would absolutely. I, I feel that marketing for years has been um, a replaceable. Um, mm -hmm. or, or, the first, yeah, it's the first place it gets cut when money is tight and they don't realize yeah. they're cutting their nose off to spite their face. Exactly. Yes. Replaceable line on the CFO's budget sheet. It's all, exactly. you know, exactly. That's, and it's yeah. usually the, 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 last 
um, team, if they have a team, for to get budget, <laughs> you have to fight for your budget. Even though you ask for ten percent of of gross rev, if possible, um, but then you have to go in there and fight. And you know, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and then another thing is, you would know, Melissa, CMOs are different. You know, there's there's CMOs who are data driven. There there's CMOs who are purpose driven. Driven. There are CMOs who are consumer centric. Like like I love that 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 you know your company, you all are really about your customers and making sure that you fight for them. Um, but I think that sometimes CEOs and C-suites, when they decide to even bring marketing in-house, and that's another thing, and I agree wholeheartedly in it, it with you, is they've looked at it as service-based because most of the times marketing can be outsourced. Mm -hmm. There's components, yeah. Various components can be outsourced, yeah. It's just like, how can you, when you say go to market motion, how, and, and even thought leadership, let's just talk about thought leadership. How can someone really write a thoughtful blog post? Yeah. <laughs> like, how can they do that? Without being an integral part of the culture of the company that they're writing about. Exactly. It's, you can't, I've tried it. I've tried it um, <laughs> many different ways. And, and what will be interesting, let me nearly put a curve into that comment, okay. is how future marketers are gonna leverage AI to develop content. That's a whole nother wild discussion to have, but you're exactly right. I think there are, there are key components of the marketing motion that makes sense to outsource. And I use a hybrid model. I use okay. a hybrid model of internal staff, uh, team members, and, and best in class vendor partners that do certain great things that I don't need to have them experience that internal culture. But right. you're hundred percent right is, is there is that misnomer that all parts of marketing can be outsourced and and I, I i just i don't agree with that i think there are key components that have to be internal uh so question for you melissa <laughs> what type of cmo are you are you a data-driven cmo purpose-driven consumer-driven what would you say you know I, it's, it's a combination it's not one it's not one swim lane, as I like to say, it's how do you put all of that together? So, okay. you know, I'm, I'm very much of an omni-channel marketing person, right? Okay. Uh, that, and, and by that, I mean, is you're, is you're putting out content and thought leadership across multiple channels. Um, and, and what is very important is based on that channel and your persona is the messaging that resonates with that persona you're marketing to. You know, that's kind of step one is, is, is really testing all those channels. But as important as that is re really measuring the performance of those channels, right? Or is the message resonating? Looking at the open rates, if you're doing an email nurture sequence, really is going through regularly and looking at what's resonating, what's being clicked on, where your exit intent forms are coming from, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and then turning off those channels and, and moving those fundings and those initiatives into the channels that are productive, that are giving you those leads and that ROI, right? So, and, and, and I'll give you an example. You know, Google, you can be running multiple Google ad campaigns, a brand campaign, a retargeting campaign, a keyword campaign. Right. Um, and, and that's the parent. And you need to individually measure, you know, each one of the children channels so that you can turn them off or tweak them as opposed to setting and one is done. And so I think, you know, looking at, at trying everything, pushing thought leadership out and then continuing to monitor uh, the performance of those channels is very, very important. And then the other type, you know, that's the kind of the per 
professional persona. And I, I, we've spoken about this and my personal brand when people ask me is, you know, I build brands that ignite demand. Okay. And I do that not only for my own personal brand, right, as a marketer, but right. also for the companies that I market it to. Um, and, and, and from a personal perspective, you know, my, my leadership trait as being a CMO is more of a servant style leadership trait. And by that, I mean, getting that next generation of marketers ready to replace me, right? And doing that knowledge share about, you know, you know, I, you, I like to use a PowerPoint example of, you know, your team is getting ready to put together a PowerPoint and, you know, and it pushes it to you for final approval, but you go and make all these edits in isolation and push those back to your team. And they're like, wait, what? Right. I, I don't do that. I like to get the team members that are working on a project that they're giving me for review and walk them through that knowledge share and also listen to their perspective as well about why they think the slide should be in this order or it should say that or whatever it is. It's more of a, a give and take of knowledge share. So, you know, that, that's kind of my MO when it comes to, 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 to leadership of, of teams. Okay. Okay. Oh, I love that. that. No, that answers it. And you know, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, Melissa, here on the CMO Connect, I love to talk to CMOs about going behind the scene because we, as you, as you were, you were um, speaking to, um, go to market gen, uh, thought leadership, and those are the things that we can do, but it's the thought process behind it. And I love that you mentioned personal branding. And I am a big cheerleader for personal branding because, you know, even just to give you an example, one of my clients, <laughs> I had already went in and said, we need to have the C-suites. We need to work on their branding and their positioning on whatever channel. We don't have to do omni-channel, but whatever channel they're going to focus on, we need to make sure that their brand is there because people like to see who is behind the brand. It's things have changed. It's no longer, oh, I can own Apple. I can own a company called Microsoft. If you look at, for example, if you look at Microsoft and how many followers they have versus Bill Gates and how many followers he has. And now he's able to do more thought leadership with his foundation. Mm -hmm. He's able to do more thought leadership with just things that he wants to do and talk about his Netflix series. Doesn't matter if you like him or if you don't like him. I'm talking about that he's used thought, he's used his personal brand to now speak to other things. And yeah. going back to my client, uh, they didn't listen to what I had to say. Only the CEO, only the CEO. So yes, only the CEO in our in the marketing strategy uh, that we built out, and they outsourced their marketing. But that's just more money for me. <laughs> yeah. And um, and, and in that marketing strategy, it was we could market and we could brand the CEO. Well, three years later, we we branded him so well, he had an IPO coming. Yeah. yeah. You are or, or some big company hires him away because his brand is so big. Yes. And so then you, yeah. Go ahead. So, so then you only really have one brand around one individual persona at that company. You know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's why I think we're going. Sorry, to interrupt, but you no, know, no, I think no, 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 you, need to, you need to cross that public face of multiple people within the company just for that that same reason that <laughs> that you were alluding to. So, 
But, you know, I hope you got a piece of that IPO. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I wish. We, I know. <laughs> they did extend the contract, but yeah, the personal brand, you're 100%, whether you're CEO or you're a marketing manager or a marketing specialist, it doesn't matter where you are. You're always reflective of the brand, of the company that you work for. And I know I'm going to offend the folks that are not from my generation about stuff that you put on the socials, Come on, but Cal. it does matter, right? Like words matter. Social footprint matters. And, you know, and I'll just use an example. You know, I, my boyfriend and I, we, we travel down to Cancun, close to Texas a couple of times a year just okay. to decompress, right? And, and I, I tell my team this, remember, everywhere you go, whether you're at a bar, whether you're at a party, whether you're down in Cancun, you are the brand of the company. Yeah. And, and I learned that from Lori Tucker, who was CMO of FedEx. I had the pleasure of working for FedEx in my early in my early part of my career. And that part resonated. So, like for example, when I go to Cancun and I'm doing shots at the bar, nobody knows what company I work for. Right. I never on, on holiday <laughs> mention what company I work for because I'm always the face of the brand. Right. 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 So, oh. <laughs> But I, I, well, I love that. Well, there can be pictures of me on social doing a shot of tequila. I just promise you. <laughs> you know, um, you, 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 you know, we're, we're on. Let's just pivot to this question. Marketing, as we have talked about for the last <laughs> few minutes, it's ever evolving. It is ever evolving. I mean, we've gone from Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, prep look all the way to now being socially responsible. Melissa, with your experience, please tell me, where do you see the marketing industry in the next 10 years and why? And I hope I'll be sitting on the beach somewhere watching somebody that was on my team show me what 10 years later in marketing looks like and making me feel really stupid and old. But no, so... You know, if you just think, and, and you've seen it too, Jamie, just 10 years ago, how far that we've come, where it was just like, you know, it was all about direct mail, right? And tchotchkes and dropping an email. Look how complex and, 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 and it was all about advertising and not measuring, you know, putting ads in magazines and publications and not measuring that. And, mm -hmm. you, and you fast forward, it's going to be really interesting just in what I've seen in 10 or 15 years. But here's, here's my, my wild thought is, Marketing will continue to evolve. Smart marketers will continue to evolve their marketing strategy. So it will all be, be all about the customer. And it'll be about creating that personal connection with oh. their customers and aligning with the, the company goals their clients have and providing them with the best possible customer experience that they have, that they can have. And companies that do that, that align their goals with their company goals like CBG does today, are going to be the ones that are going to ensure that there's a great customer experience for their client base. So that's step one. What will be interesting, and I spoke to this a, a little bit ago, is the use of AI across all aspects of marketing, right? Mm -hmm. we're, already, we're already testing at CBG some, some AI platforms, not only for our, our solution, chargeback solution, but also in our messaging, right? But you got to be careful about plagiarism and what kind of Work right. like that, but it's currently being tested in content writing. It'll be right. interesting where it evolves from there. This could scare some people, especially people who are communications people. Of, oh, wait, the marketing CMOs are going to use AI to replace me. 
No, it's a matter of being more efficient and effective. It's not a matter of replacement. I think new data science platforms will provide more accurate and accessible information that will help companies better target the personas based on their company ICP and the buyer's journey of who they're marketing to and mm -hmm. where those buyers are shopping, right? right. I think data science will be a big figure in that. And I think, I think an alternative to account-based marketing and email nurture stacks that leverages new technologies. Okay. Um, I think, I think there's going to be a conversion of services companies, of companies that are offering marketing solutions to, you know, to our point of outsourcing or keeping inside. I think, I think there's going to be, you, we're already seeing it with fractional CMO roles, right? Right. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, how is that going to evolve? So, yeah. you know, I, I think technology is going to play very much into this. And I think, you know, we, we haven't talked about, and, and the, the last point is we haven't even talked about when we, we talk about technology is the, in addition to the new data science, but the voice activated platforms that okay. create a, a more personalized experience is going to be interesting. I think that's, that's going to be really, really interesting to see where that goes along with the science technology. Okay. Oh, I, love I hope it. I answered your question. No, I, I think no. there's no. multiple lessons this thing can go down, right? Yes, yes, yes. And you touched on something when you said, um, content writers and communication, um, let's just say communication directors, whoever those are entry levels on our teams, they do have this fear of whether, whether, you know, you hear them at the water bubbler, they have this fear that they're getting ready to be replaced from, from AI. And I love that you just brought out no. Um, and I would love for you to expound on that. I kind of know where you were going, but we do have an audience um, the majority of this audience are uh, senior level direct di digital marketing managers with budget. And so mm -hmm. they may not have a lot of budget, but they have a budget or they have a card. Mm -hmm. And we did a little survey, Melissa, and it was it was about 63 percent of them said they felt that their job was in danger. Yeah. So can you speak to that a little more? You know, and, and, I, and I've, I've learned, to, you know, I, I think AI is only going to make their job richer, mm -hmm. deeper, smarter, mm -hmm. and be complimentary. Because, you know, this, this, okay, let's use an analogy. This is stupid stuff about these self-driving cars. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that, right? <laughs> no. And so, you know, while it's being tested, it's not going to replace the buying, you know, driving your own car experience. It's only going to enhance your experience so you can do the clapping or whatever that you're doing. But yeah. along that line, I think, I think the marketers that, use AI in a way that enhances their, their marketing capabilities, their go-to-market to create kind of an immersive marketing experience are gonna be the ones that are fantastic, right? That are really going to set themselves apart mm -hmm. and make themselves invaluable, right? Because they're using what will be a common tech stack or tech solution to right. not only enhance the brand of the companies they're marketing, but right. their personal brand and their go-to-market motion to create this great customer experience. And it'll free them up to do more value-added strategic initiatives for their company instead okay. of, you know, spending all day long, right, trying to find the right word combination and going back and forth, you know, for their particular industry, they can type in that content 
in their keywords and it will spit out at least a, a straw man that they can start personalizing from there. Imagine the time that that saves everybody. Um, and so, you know, and, and uh, you know, we, we say this at CBG in my prior company that where we leverage AI um, because uh, I'll use CBG, you know, some people do chargebacks in turn with their internal teams. And when they come to us to do a cross comparison of outsourcing the, the chargeback prevention recovery with somebody like us versus internal teams, what they find is that the people that are doing it are afraid that if they go with chargeback, they're going to be out of a job right? Because they've been doing chargebacks internally. And we tell them, no, 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 no. It's going to free up that staff to go do more highly valued things for your company in finance or the accounting world than, than putting together dispute packages. And it's going to make their lives more fulfilling, right? They're going to feel more satisfied with who they are and what they do. So that's my two cents for whatever it's worth. And it's probably worth that. Oh, no. <laughs> worth a lot more. Well, what did your marketing team look like over at Chargeback Gurus? Like, do you have, um, who reports to you? Do you, do you have like, um, yeah. I had to build out a team. Okay. So when I, when I got, took this, this, this gig, um, like I said, there was, there was an existing team there and then there were, it was insufficient. So it was very siloed. And okay. it was very task oriented, as we spoke about earlier. Right, right. Um, so right now I have far too many people reporting to me, but because um, <laughs> I'm waiting to see over time who emerges, you know, where their passions are and whatnot. But I talked about those four pillars and those are the first things that I filled out because hmm. those are the, that's the gasoline. So the, the inbound motion of how you speaking to your leads that are hand raisers, right? Your MQLs, mm -hmm, you know, right. What's your outbound? How are you going out and finding your ideal client profile and getting them to become hand risers? So that's your director demand gen that also manages your tech stack and other wonderful things, reporting and all that structure, HubSpot and whatnot. And then you have, you know, you've got to have great graphics and a great website experience because that's how people are finding you and you want to be able to convert that. And then you have to have a content, you know, communications director who's going to write compelling content, right? And right, work right. with those industry thought leaders to get bylines and articles. So to me, those are the core foundational elements. And then you kind of build out from there. So I have all of those in place. Okay. Um, I now, also have four people. Are those four people or is that four pillars and you've placed? Like, two four, I thought, like I said, I hire some really great talented people and I've been fortunate to have, I had three of the four that I brought in come with me from other firms. So I had to hire one net new, but I have, you know, I have a digital marketing manager that manages my digital channels, right? I have a fantastic events, trade show, webinar, and association manager. So anything that is relationship oriented with our outbound and our footprint or our trade shows or associations or webinar, she manages all of that. I have a great team in India that is focused on, you know, what I would call corporate communications that attract and retain talent, right? And engage the talent that we are, that they, they focus nothing but on that uh, as well as building some thought leadership and working with our product messaging and our product team on our go-to-market motion when we have new features and whatnot. So, and then I, I alluded to, so I, one of the things that emerging companies like about me is that, A, I'm talented people. I'm very fortunate to have. Um, but I, I, I build lean teams. I'm able to do that because, A, I bring people with me and they want, they want to be in a high-growth environment. And, and that allows me to ramp very quickly because I can say to like my web and graphic designer dude, hey, remember we did that client newsletter template over at XYZ? 
can you go version that for for us to use here? So it's, it's very, very quick because I don't have to spend a lot of time explaining because he already knows we've been there and done that a couple of times. Right, right. Um, and I also alluded to, so I can operate with a, a leaner team because I use a hybrid model. So I'll find best in class vendor partners to be external extenders of my team. So I have a great, you know, I have a great company called Define Logic that manages my Google campaigns for me. Mm-hmm. Right? I have a, a, a website company that we work with on, on building and enhancing websites and, you know, Titan. And that's their best in class in what they do. I have a great PR firm, right? I don't need to hire a PR per- person, right? right? That's something that you can outsource. So some of those areas that we traditionally would hire a dedicated person to do, right. there are teams that, there are vendor partners that make sense to outsource that to and act yeah. as an extension of your team and have them have weekly meetings with your team, internal team with them so that they stay abreast of what's going on. So I don't think there's a, you know, in summary, I don't think there's a magic combination. I think it really depends on marketing budget, what you're trying to accomplish, who you have experience working with, mm-hmm. you know, are there best in class, you know, vendor partners that you can work with uh, that that will help you. You know, it's just and again, gut in, gut instincts, right? That only time and experience will bring, as well as working with leaders that do knowledge share, right, with you about this. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, Melissa. You have so much wealth of knowledge and understanding in marketing, but I have to ask this question. If you were not a CMO, what yeah. would you be? <laughs> what do you think you'd be if you weren't a CMO? This is gonna sound this is gonna sound cheeky. I'm to be honest with you, and I think as I as I approach because uh, my last company sold, and so I, I tried to semi-retirement for about three months, and realized I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, drinking too much Jameson in the middle of the day. <laughs> so that's a little little insight about me. But no, in all seriousness, it would be a philanthropic kind of structure. If I if I had been a a person of of wealth that came from you know didn't have to worry about it when I was younger, I would have been part of a philanthropic organization. I think that that had footprints around the U.S that were protective places for children okay. who are abused to be able to have a safe place, right, okay. to come and, and, and get out of that environment as opposed to going into the system, right? So, you know, you see quick stop, and so, you, you know, these little signs that says safe place, right? It would, it would, be a, it would have been interesting to see, you know, and I, I hate to say that in times of, of today where we had so much mass shootings and kids feel unsafe. You know, it would be interesting to have something where they can come and feel safe, right? So I think something philanthropically that that helps improve children's lives or helps them feel safer. Love that. Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast with me today. And you have been amazing. Thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing to be LinkedIn buddies.